This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News. Good afternoon, Jack Riccardi. Well, Tom gave you the temperature and the heat index, but I'm going to add to that. It also feels like an indictment today, doesn't it? It feels like a Trump indictment kind of day. It's in the air. It just feels like it's in the air. The Devin Archer thing yesterday. You know, there's always the day after anything bad is revealed about or dropped about the Bidens. That's always seems to be the day of the next Trump indictment or the raid on Mar-a-Lago or what have you. And so I, I, we know that the grand jury in D.C. met uh, today. They meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And um, they considered charging Trump. This is the so-called January 6th case. This is the did he interfere or attempt to interfere with the uh, mechanics of the 2020 election and the certification of it. Um, so we're going to keep an eye on that. And um, he is saying on his, um, I guess his truth social, uh, that uh, he expects to be indicted any minute now. He thinks today is the day. He also asks a good question. Um, wh- why have they waited all this time? Uh, if they if they believed he was breaking the law in 2020 or 2021, early 2021, uh, then, then they've had two and a half years to do it. He, he suspects the answer to his own question, he suspects, is that they were trying to uh, bring it closer to uh, his you know, campaign. So I want to talk about that, of course, and we're going to keep an eye on that. If you stay here, you will be up to the minute on everything that's going on with uh, with 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 Trump. And then, and then, of course, we got to talk about uh, the the Biden show. We had the testimony from Devin Archer yesterday, which, by the way, to this point, as far as I know, we are going on the relative. We're going on the word of the relatively few people who heard it. And you got to remember that just about everything you've heard or been told is either coming from a partisan Democrat like Dan Goldman or a partisan Republican. Um, the Democrats are saying that it was uh, much ado about nothing, that it was that there wasn't much there. And the Republicans are saying, well, this was big time, heavy duty. This changes everything. The real quid pro quo in Ukraine was Joe Biden, says Congressman James Comer. Remember, Ukraine quid pro quo in 2019 was a term the Democrats used about Trump's phone call to the president of Ukraine and his request that they investigate Hunter Biden's ties to Burisma and the firing of that prosecutor. It's the phone call that was listened in on by the whistleblower it's the phone call that Trump has described as a perfect phone call. And um, that was, you know, that was then, right? And Comer is saying, well, now we think that the quid pro quo uh, in Ukraine was, was Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden was involved in exactly what they were accusing Trump of doing. Quote, when in American history has a vice president ever taken an active role and demanded that a prosecutor in a foreign country be fired 
simply investigating a business that was domiciled in that foreign country. Never. The evidence continues to mount that the real quid pro quo pertaining to Ukraine and Burisma was Joe Biden. It uh, was revealed by Devin Archer that Joe Biden met with the wife of the mayor of Moscow at one point. And um, these were people that Hunter was in business with. But it reminded me of something that came up during the debate in October of 2020 between then-President Trump and then-Vice President Joe Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden. So remember, they had the one debate before COVID uh, knocked Trump out of it. And um, there was a moment when Trump was haranguing Biden about the wife of the mayor of Moscow, and that was the debate that that the feckless uh, Chris Wallace debated. He was horrible, and he was just completely in the bag. And I want to play this clip because this may be yet another thing that sounded wild at the time, but Trump apparently knew about it. We're just finding out about it now. Cut number eight. Listen to this. China ate your lunch, Joe, and no wonder your son goes in and he takes out he takes out billions of dollars takes out billions of dollars to manage. He makes millions of dollars. And also, Simply while we're at true. it, why is it, just out of curiosity, the mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars. What did he true. do to deserve it? That what did he do with Barista to deserve $183,000? None of that is true. None of that is true. Oh, really? He totally didn't get three no, and a half hey, Mr. President, it's Mr. Totally, President, please. Totally discredited. Totally discredited. And by the way, well, wait—he didn't talk, get three no, and a half million dollars, Joe. Mr. Vice, he got three Mr. and a half President, million dollars. It is not true. Oh, really? Mr. Oh. President, you, it's, a, it's an open discussion. What did you do your freaking well, job, Chris Wallace? There's a big story sitting there right in front of you. You call yourself a journalist? He's trying to—he's trying to restore order in the classroom, and we're hearing about these millions of dollars floating around between Russia and the Biden family now. What we've learned from, uh, or I shouldn't say learned, I guess what Devin Archer is claiming in his testimony is that uh, the company he had with Hunter was, um, what was it, Fairmont, Rosemont, something like that. Uh, they received $40 million from Russian oligarchs, and $3.5 million was wired to Hunter, and that was right at the time of this meeting with the, you know, the wife of the former uh, mayor of Moscow, who was one of the oligarchs involved. Remember that after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, for quite a long time, R- Russia was an oligarchy. It was just a bunch of, of rich warlords and, and moguls, uh, and money was going all over the place. And uh, the Bidens rode into that in the 2000s, and apparently did very well for themselves and their fund, along with other places. But I just thought it was interesting that at the time that that happened in the 2020 debate, the media scolded Trump, and it was so irresponsible and undignified, and USA Today did this big, fussy fact-check piece about it. But see, that's their approach to everything that Trump presents. Their, their, their first instinct with Trump is to disbelieve everything he says. If he tells you today's Tuesday, uh, they, they set out to prove that that's not true. 
and to show you. But when Biden says something, they go out of their way to believe it and find a way to, to, to see if it might be true. And, and all I would say is, if you're a journalist and you're at a, a presidential debate and these kinds of allegations, which have never been made before, not, not in, the, in the debate between Reagan and Carter, not in Kennedy-Nixon, never, we've never heard anything like this. I mean, Ross Perot was kind of a bomb thrower back in the day. He never said any of this about Bush or Clinton. If you're sitting there and, and Donald Trump... Who knows a thing or two about business? Who is wired into all these people? He's known all these people for years and years, Democrats and Republicans. And your instinct is to try to calm things down rather than get at it. I would have, I would have been like, let's get this story. You know, screw the debate format. What, 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 what are we talking about here, boys? But no. All right, back to um, Devin's testimony. I thought this was rich. Um, this is from uh, David Strom at HotAir.com. The new Democratic line, Hunter is selling an illusion of access. This is the new Democratic strategy dealing with the Hunter Biden influence peddling scandal, Strom writes. It's no longer possible to maintain that Joe Biden never spoke to Hunter about his business dealings. The evidence is too voluminous to the point of being irrefutable, so Democrats don't try anymore. The way CNN is now covering Archer's testimony, CNN cites a source, quote-unquote, who says Archer said that Hunter Biden was selling the illusion of having access to Joe Biden. So it was a scam on the part of Hunter. This illusion of influence thing is going to be how they throw Hunter under the bus. They're going to they're say... Boy, you know, we didn't realize it because Joe Biden is such a decent human being, but his son is really a scumbag. And this scuzz bucket was, was pretending to have access, and his father, out of the goodness of his heart and the love of a dad for a drug-addicted son, would take his call any time of the day or night. But, but, but Joe wasn't participating. Hunter was just fanning the flames of it, making it look like he had access. So the spin is going to be Hunter didn't really have access he was just a big talker. Like, remember when you were a kid, there was always that one, you know, classmate that was always telling stories. Hey, I'm, uh, I met, I met Roger Staubach, you know, or just, just and, and you knew not to believe 99% of what he said. But this is what they're going to say about Hunter. Oh, he, he was just a uh, fabulist. He was just a storyteller. Um, and um, Joe, Joe didn't even know. Poor Joe. Uh, remember, Dan Goldman yesterday came out and said they just talked about the weather. Oh, here's another uh, here's another spin. This is a guy on MSNBC. Um, he said this morning on Morning Joe, we should. They were talking about the what was going on between Biden and Hunter. We should put this in context. This is the time when Bo Biden, the president's other son, was ill and dying, and then passed away. So perhaps he, Joe Biden, wasn't as attentive to what he should have been. And another panelist pipes up, we know how important family is to the president. You can't hang up on your son. So they're going to say it was great that Joe Biden was on those calls. It was an act of paternal love. You know, if you were committing a crime, you'd call your mom or dad too just to, check in and involve them 
Um, from time to time, I like to cite the, um, the example of George Orwell's 1984. One of the tricks that Orwell exposes in the novel 1984 is the way in which the state would um, sort of whitewash or airbrush history. There's a running theme through the book. The book is, is, is about a hypothetical future, you know, government. Loosely believed to be a socialist future version of England. And there's a running theme in 1984 where the state teaches everyone that Oceania, the country, has always been at war with this other country, East Asia. And he says in the book, this is uh, one guy talking to another guy, we've always been at war with East Asia since the beginning of your life, since the beginning of the party, since the beginning of history, the war has, had, has continued without a break, always the same war. You do remember that, don't you? Yes. And they're questioning this guy about his expressed doubts. And he's, he's, they're telling him, they're gaslighting him. They're saying, you remember, we've always had this war, right? We've always been at war with this other country, this hypothetical imaginary other country. The war is necessary for the state to maintain control. While there's a state of war, there's a state of emergency, we have all these dictatorial powers, it's because we're at war with East Asia. And he says that the character in the book then holds up uh, the fingers of his left hand with the thumb concealed. There are five fingers here. Do you see five fingers? And the guy says yes. And he did see them, Orwell writes, for a fleeting instant. He saw five fingers. Then everything was normal again, and the old fear, the hatred, and the bewilderment came crowding back again. But there had been a moment, he didn't know how long, 30 seconds perhaps, of luminous certainty, when he really did see five fingers. So they tell the guy, don't believe what you see with your own eyes. Believe what we tell you. And that's what's happening here. New York Times did a piece about the um, Devin Archer testimony that included this line. It has long been known that the elder Mr. Biden at times interacted with his son's business partners. Really? Um, I thought that that's the opposite of what's long been known or claimed. What's long been claimed is... I never spoke to them. I never had any involvement with them. I never knew anything about it. He never discussed his business with me. I was never involved. I never made any money off of any of this. Here's the New York Times yesterday. It has long been known that the elder Mr. Biden at times interacted with his son's business partners. So the thing that Joe Biden has denied vehemently over and over again is something we've always known. Like Oceania has always been at war with East Asia. That's what they're doing right now. So to recap, these phone conversations aren't news. And there was grief in the Biden family. And he loved his son. And Hunter's a scuzz bucket who was pretending to have more influence than he really had. And you don't need to know about any of this. Oh, and by the way, we're going to indict Trump again today. Well, that's where we are right now. It, it does. It does sort of feel like we're watching a tennis match, and um, the ball goes into the Biden court, and the ball goes into the Trump court, and um, the only difference is 
tennis is a sport and this is our country. I, I was saying to somebody earlier, um, I feel like I am watching, well, I, I feel very sad for this country. Because when, when I see the kind of crassness of this moment, I think, will my daughter ever know what a great country this was? Will, will, will she ever know what we were capable of, what we were part of, what it what it felt like to be an American and, and for everybody to, to, to be together in that? Because we really were. We had our disagreements, but, you know, we all wanted to beat the commies. And, you know, I just... Um, you know, this is third world banana republic stuff. And it, it if we were watching another country go through what we're going through right now with the party in power politically persecuting their opponent, we would say, first of all, we'd say what a sham that country is. It's not even a real country. And then we'd probably call it a bleephole country. And then we probably, some people would say, you know, maybe we need to intervene over there and uh, stabilize things. But I, I, that's that's how it looks to me today. Um, I'm not giving up, but I, I'm 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 worried sometimes that we don't get get it all back. And I I think the difference between Trump and Biden is basically this. You, you may be listening to me right now, then. Well, the difference is that you voted for Trump. No, the the difference is, in my opinion, at least, that what they're accusing Trump of are process things. You didn't do this right. You you weren't supposed to say that. You weren't supposed to have that. Okay. All right. What they're accusing Biden of and his family is is selling out this country to the places that hate us the most. It isn't even just making money off access to your office. You could sell that to anybody. You could sell that to the Teamsters or you know, Canada. No, you're 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 going to the worst places on earth, and you're selling it to them. How dare you? We made you. You had no, you people came from nothing. You don't have a business. You never built anything. You never created anything. You've been sucking at the tit of 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 public service, quote unquote, for fifty years, and. And and not only that, only one of you has been doing that. The rest of you have been getting his leftovers. And Joe Biden got elected in a safe state so he could be a, a useless, witless senator from Delaware. Delaware would elect a tree stump if it was a Democrat. And he stays in office forever. He runs for president. People in his own party laugh. Are you kidding me? We wouldn't nominate you if you were the last person alive. And then Barack Obama has this Really brilliant idea. What would be better to blunt the disruption of the first African-American nominee, young guy, a lot of those Southern Democrats, a little uneasy about that? What could be better than to nominate Foghorn Leghorn as my running mate? So he pulls Joe Biden off the trash heap of history. Even Joe Biden thinks it's over. Imagine the shock of that phone call. Joe, I'd like you to be my running mate. What? Say that again? I remember at the time we were on the air, people were dumbfounded. All our all our uh, pundits were like, what? We didn't see that one coming. 
Go back and look if you don't believe me. There was a short list of people Obama would probably choose. This was 08 when he was running against John McCain. And there was a short list, and Biden wasn't on any of the lists. So that's how we got to this point. And it, it, this country looks like a, like a banana republic right now. Uh, and so what you're looking at is at least, three, if he gets indicted on these charges, and then there's one more case, I believe the, the Georgia case is still out there. So if he gets indicted on this, and, and he says on his Truth Social he has been, but it's not official yet. Um, but if he gets indicted, and then he gets indicted again, he has like three or four cases all going on between now and Election Day, November of 2024. I don't know how you even prep for that many cases simultaneously. They're in different places. They're about different issues. And you're running for president. Supposedly you are. He says he is. says he won't drop out no matter what. I mean, that's where we are right now. I know you know that, but it just it needs to be said. Uh, what do you think about that? And, um, again, we're, we're, we're awaiting whatever announcement there is. On his social media, the former president says, earlier he was saying, I'm going to be. Now he's saying, I have been. The government is saying that someone, but they're not naming who it is, uh, has been indicted. In, in the D.C. case, the Jack Smith jury. A federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. has handed up a sealed indictment against former President Trump. The panel is part of special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election and the January 6th attack. ABC's Catherine Folders is outside the courthouse. Now this grand jury hasn't just heard from former Vice President Mike Pence for Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows. They've heard from every single person, essentially, who was around the former president, not just on the day of January 6th, but in the days leading up to and after that. And they've spoken to all sorts of lawyers. They've spoken to advisors. They've spoken to those on a Secret Service detail, for example, the lower-level staffers. The former president has been denying any wrongdoing so far, and he has made the two indictments so far against him a centerpiece of his 2024 presidential campaign. It's helped him raise millions of dollars for his Save America PAC, repeating a Washington, D.C. grand jury handing up a sealed indictment against former President Trump. Albinger, ABC News. All right, so there it is, uh, the official word from the Trump spokesman, uh, President Trump has always followed the law and the Constitution with advice from many highly accomplished attorneys. These un-American witch hunts will fail, and President Trump will be reelected to the White House. The spokesman continued, uh, three years ago we had strong borders, energy independence, no inflation, and a great economy. Today we're a nation in decline. President Trump will not be deterred by disgraceful and unprecedented political targeting. Remember that uh, last week uh, Trump said he had received a target letter uh, from the Justice Department, and he, that he anticipated uh, arrest and indictment. Just today, he was uh, putting out on Truth Social that he, I never know if you're supposed to say tweeted on Truth Social, <laughs> what you're supposed to say, he truthed on Truth Social, that he expected uh, an indictment, and we're just getting that word now that uh, a sealed indictment. Um, so this is the one as you heard Dara Albinger say, that is about the events surrounding uh, January 6th, the certification vote, uh, the certification of the Electoral College vote, the um, the activities of the president on that day in terms of giving the speech, 
uh, in terms of what he said and didn't say when people started going into the Capitol and, and, uh, and all of that. So we have breaking news this afternoon. Another indictment of former President Trump. Uh, this is the uh, special counsel Jack Smith grand jury uh, that's looking into uh, the January 6th uh, accusations or uh, circumstances. Um, remember that already uh, the former president has been in front of uh, uh, a grand jury on his uh, counts of improper retention of classified materials and national defense information and conspiracy to obstruct justice. He's already had the Manhattan, the lower Manhattan uh, DA grand jury. So this would be the third of what could be four um, indictments. And again, just as a calendar matter, the calendar is starting to fill up. I mean, we're starting to look at at, um, court dates between now and, well, not that they have to happen before November, but it gets even more complicated if you schedule them for after November. And so you start to get the feeling that, um, aside from whether or not Donald Trump is guilty of breaking any laws or not, you have to wonder about how an individual facing this many cases in this many different fact areas could be prepared for all of them, could be physically present and appear uh, in each of them, unless that was the only thing he was doing. And ordinarily, somebody in this boat, this would be the only thing they were doing. This guy is running for president while he's doing all that. I've had people say to me, you know, you argue with a friend or you debate with a friend in a friendly way. They're like, what, you don't think he did anything wrong? I'm like, no, I, don't, I, I didn't say that. I, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he broke some rules here. I'm sure he had some documents he wasn't supposed to have. I'm sure he was sloppy and, and lazy and so forth with, with these documents. I, but I don't, I don't see any indication, and nobody's proven in any way, that there was any kind of intent. And so that's why I say this is, these are process crimes. These are, you weren't supposed to do that, you're not supposed to do that. Okay, I, 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 I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give you, without knowing all the particulars, that, yeah, probably in those boxes of, it sounds like they just threw everything in there. It's like clothes, golf equipment, and documents. I mean, it sounds like a mess. Um, when people act that way, when people are, are, are disorganized and sloppy that way, they're probably going to break rules. They're probably going to take things they shouldn't have taken. Um, but you contrast that to a family that is selling influence and basically invoicing foreign governments for favors, it, you should be embarrassed to want to put those on the same table. You know, that should be embarrassing to you. Um, and it just looks to me like Biden's defense is going to be all of the trials and indictments of Trump. Like the only way a political hack could get by on this is if there's something perceived as just as bad or worse. So they need you to be both distracted by Trump and they need you to believe that what he did was worse. And maybe that that may work. I, I mean, 
I'm not I'm not saying it won't. I'm not I'm not laughing at it. I guess I'm laughing about it. But I'm laughing ruefully. Uh Laura Ingram was talking to um Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida and um he was uh, he, he was talking about this very thing. Uh, cut number one. Listen to this. They're trying to defend their man. But when it was Donald Trump, they moved quickly on a phone call. No other corroboration, just a phone call, frankly, about the same allegations that now pan out to be true about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden with Burisma. So they don't care about the paper trail. They care about the fact that Hunter Biden, I mean, Joe Biden, frankly, have done the Democrats bidding when it comes to policy in the federal government. And they want to protect that. That's what this, now, that's what this is about. I, um, it was interesting to think about that, you know, the, um, the alacrity with which they moved on, uh, Trump's phone call to Ukraine versus the, ex- the sort of waving of the hand. Oh, the, the, uh, Joe was just talking about the weather kind of thing. Um, and then she played a, a clip of, uh, Adam Schiff of all people. Uh, he was on one of the Sunday shows. He's very sad about what's happening to our country. And uh, she let uh, Byron Donalds have at that cut number two. They seem to be an impeachment inquiry in search of a subject uh, and certainly in search of evidence. McCarthy isn't thinking ahead. Uh, he's not thinking about what he's doing to the country, which is, I think, you know, really devastated the country. These kind of uh, faux investigations and, uh, and, a, and this potential abuse of the impeachment power. Congressman. Uh, apparently he has a case of massive amnesia. Listen, he's a liar and he's a hack, pure and simple. Because with all the information we now have, within about six months of investigation, it, we have way more than they wish they had on Donald Trump. And they're going after him using the Department of Justice, which is corrupt in my view. Adam Schiff needs to go sit down somewhere because he lied to the American people before and he's lying now. It's all projection, right? All of it's projection. 210-599-5555. All right, what do you think? We'll kick this around. We're expecting to hear in a few minutes from Special Counsel Jack Smith if that is the case, if that does happen, uh, and we're able to bring you uh, some of his comments, we will do that. Uh, Tom is also standing by to bring us uh, up to date on everything that's been going on. We'll get that from him uh, here in a few minutes. And glad you're along. Thank you for being here. If you want to jump in, 210 599 55. Uh, one thing I've been kind of thinking about, and, and I know that you don't like to talk about, you know, who you're going to vote for, and I respect that. I've learned in this job that you can ask and you can ask and you can ask, but most people really hold their cards close to the vest. That's why it's a secret ballot, right? But um, I guess I'm wondering if there's someone who feels conflicted by what's going on with the indictments of Trump. As we can all see, unless something crazy happens, Donald Trump will be both running for president, you know, going from state to state, entering primaries, and at the same time, going from place to place and entering courthouses. He and his legal team will be crafting whatever his defense is, his plea is, in all these different cases. And then at the same time, he will be doing rallies and events and uh, trying to get the Republican nomination for the third straight time. 
And I wonder if there's a voter who feels conflicted in the sense, and there's two ways you could be conflicted that I, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could be, but here's two that I can think of. You really want to vote for Ron DeSantis, so you really want to vote for one of these other people, but it feels like you should not support the people running against Trump because you believe what they're doing to Trump is wrong. So you, you favor, let's just pick DeSantis, you favor him, you're like, I really like him. I like what he says. I think he's the right man. But, you know, this is a this is a witch hunt, and uh, it feels disloyal to go against Trump. And then the other the other kind of conflict I could see is there could be a voter who likes and supports Donald Trump. He was a great president. I, I thought those were four great years. I supported his policies. I'm very iffy on what happened in the election of 2020. But now I don't know if I... I don't know if he can give this his full attention. I don't know if I can commit, if I can be all in on a guy that might wind up going to prison or at the very least be distracted and pulled away from the campaign by his legal troubles. We've we've never been here before. We've never had somebody simultaneously running for president and having these kinds of issues. And if you've watched people run for president, it's a fire in the belly, all in, you go all day, all night, you're constantly running, you, you have to involve your wife, your husband, your family, they've got to be on board too. If you read biographies of politicians, they'll tell you, everybody in my life had to sign off on this because if they weren't in it with me, I couldn't do it. I, I don't know how you divide yourself the way he's going to have to do it. And there may be a voter that likes him, but doesn't think he can divide himself. And and again, that first example, there may be a voter who says, I really wasn't going to support him. I was kind of over him, but they're 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 forcing me into his camp with what they're doing. We're uh, watching a conference room at the Department of Justice in Washington where we think any minute now the special counsel in the Trump case, Jack Smith, will step up to the mic. We'll bring you that when it happens and listen to some of what he has to uh, say. He was appointed... Um, Back in November, just a few days after uh, former President Trump formally announced he was going to run for president again, and at the time, Garland said that the appointment of Jack Smith was driven by that, that that was part of the reason uh, they were appointing a special counsel. So let me bring into the conversation here uh, retired prosecutor, former Bear County DA, and retired judge uh, Steve Hilbig on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. And let me just jump right in here, Judge, and ask you this. Um, if Congress tried and was unable to impeach President Trump on these things, uh, does it follow, does it flow that you would now try to get a, a uh, basically a criminal case against him? I'm not sure it flows from their failure, but I'm I'm kind of reading through the indictment. I'm I'm only on page nine. <laughs> it <laughs> I've never seen an indictment like this. In essence, the the federal government is charging him with having an opinion that is contradicted by fact, and so therefore that's a crime. And and. I I have, you know, I've, I don't know, gosh, I've been a lawyer now close to 47 years or so. I, I have never seen anything like that. Well, that's why I would say, Judge, That's if I can just jump in, that, that's why I'm wondering, it, it, in one, when you and I used to talk during the impeachment 
we talked about how that had a different um, evidentiary standard. It was about high crimes and misdemeanors. It was it was intentionally by the framers. The concept of impeachment was left kind of open ended. Um, this seems like something that if you were going to address it, you would you would address it politically. And they didn't do that, meaning they weren't able to get the votes to convict him. So now, and I think this is buttressed by what you're saying, it sounds like they're trying to stretch the law to turn it into a criminal case. Well, I mean, I hate to say this, and again, I was a, I was a federal prosecutor, and uh, you know, I know there's great power that goes with being either a state prosecutor or a federal prosecutor, and it just really seems like overreaching. Mm-hmm. Again, as I read through this, it's like, well, others told him that his opinion was wrong, and mm-hmm. so because others told him his opinion about the election being stolen or there were you know, improper votes cast because others told him that they didn't have any evidence of that, that then he must have committed a crime. And, mm-hmm. and again, how would you know if you had that evidence of that? It, all of this was, you know, within a period of what, a month and a half to two months after the election. And generally speaking, you're going to have to be investigating things for a little bit longer than that to come to a conclusion. Uh, and, and so even though they have not uncovered anything, According to the indictment, there sure was some things out there. I mean, you know, in terms of what was it in Georgia that they stopped counting for a while and then there was supposedly videotape of of ballots suddenly appearing. Right. I have a hard time understanding if somebody is saying, you know what, I really question whether or not that that was properly counted or was a fair election. That now all of a sudden say, well, that's a crime against could, the government because could you say could you government. say though he's not just somebody expressing an opinion, he's a constitutional officer, he is uh, somebody with uh, power over, you know, the 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 mechanisms of the federal government. Could you say that in his claims that the election was stolen and fraudulent? that that carries a lot more weight and responsibility than if somebody just expresses an opinion? Well, sure, except he doesn't lose his First Amendment right. And and that's what mm-hmm. they seem to be trying to take away is his First Amendment right. Mm-hmm. And, and in the very introductory parts of the indictment, it, you know, it's kind of like in an effort to remain in office. Well, how did anybody think he was going to stay in office past mm-hmm. Uh, the inauguration day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody. Thought I, except that. for some, there were some. There were definitely some fantasies that he was going to, you know, stay in there. But you're right. I mean, there was never any thought that he would. Uh, if you can hang on with us, Judge, I want to uh, bring you the remarks. Now we have him at the microphone, Special Counsel Jack Smith. Let's listen in on KTSA. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. 
They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives in the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Since the attack on our capital, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment, and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. I would like to thank the members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation who are working on this investigation with my office, as well as the many career prosecutors and law enforcement agents from around the country who have worked on previous January 6th investigations. These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege to work alongside them. Thank you. All right, so that was a statement read by Special Counsel Jack Smith, appointed last November by Attorney General Merrick Garland. Let me bring uh, Judge Hilbig back into the conversation here live on KTSA. Um, if you take out, Judge, the boilerplate language that's always in these statements, like to thank the investigative bodies, et cetera, et cetera, it didn't really sound like he said very much of anything there. No, and it's kind of funny. It's kind of like, well, uh, oh, my gosh, it was citizens who comprised the grand jury they're the ones that decided this was a crime. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry, again, having been a, a, a prosecutor in both the state and federal level that presented cases to the grand jury, you know, if, if somebody gets slanted information, then the result's going to be slanted. And, and once again, the probable cause standard for an indictment is some evidence to believe that a crime may have been committed mm. and the defendant may have committed the crime. Uh, and and yeah, his statement was worthless. And again, I'm looking through this, and they're naming as co-conspirators attorneys who provided him information uh, that you know, oh, was false. And and you know, I have not been able to read through the whole thing here. Right. I've only got short notice on this. But it again, I go back to I, it. Just seems like what they are trying to criminalize is that even if his his statements were wrong if he had a belief that they may have been accurate or even if they were inaccurate. I don't understand how you criminalize those statements, mm -hmm. and yet that's mm -hmm. what they're trying to do. L let me ask you this, uh, a couple other questions, if we can hold you here for a sec, Judge. Um, you heard Jack Smith say, I urge every American to read the indictment. If people go home tonight and read the indictment, do you think there is anything in there that would surprise or change the the view that almost everyone already has, right, of, of Donald Trump? Virtually everyone has has come to whatever conclusion they've come to about him. Is there anything in there that's a smoking gun, in your opinion, that you've seen so far? I've only been up to page like 14 out of a 45-page uh, indictment. And, I, I, okay. you know, my answer is no with that in terms of, 
I, I think that uh, you, you can tell somebody that X is true, but if somebody has a different belief, then it is extremely hard to get mm-hmm. them to change that belief. In this case, uh, Trump had people telling him or reporting to him certain things that led, led Trump to believe mm-hmm. that the election was not fairly done. And yet the whole indictment seems to be Trump told people that the election wasn't fairly done, and that mm-hmm. obstructed the, mm-hmm. the government of the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it goes back to my earlier statement that it seems to be they're trying to criminalize somebody for their opinion. And I understand he's the president, but it, how how did it adversely affect the running of the government? It didn't, right. unless they try to say, well, wait a second, you know, July, uh, January 6th is entirely the fault of Trump. And I think they're going to have a hard time proving that as a matter of of fact, but on the other hand, a, a jury in the District of Columbia may be willing to believe that for political reasons. Yeah. Um, there's, very, there's very few Republicans in that jury pool. Um, something I was talking about earlier, Judge, uh, you know, this is the third of potentially four indictments. Um, so you've got potentially three court dates on the calendar, or that will be, right? And I'm, I'm trying to understand how somebody can have their due process rights when they have to simultaneously prepare for all of these different trials in all of these different locations. Is that is that a due process concern to you? No. I mean, the, the issue is that you have to take each one of the cases individually. You have to make sure that you've gotten the appropriate discovery uh, in each of the cases, and then you have to make sure that you've had the appropriate time to investigate uh, the basis of the allegations and, and the factual issues regarding the indictments in each of the cases. And, and so if somebody, if an attorney, for instance, says, well, I haven't had enough time to work on case number two because I've been working on case number one, to a degree, a judge could say, well, then you need to get another set of attorneys in to work on case number two. Uh, I, I don't think that the, you know that all of the numerous cases are going to be an issue in terms of due process. But doesn't due process also reflect or respect the defendant, the defendant's ability to prepare, and not, not just his teams of lawyers? Well, uh, I would argue that that it is. What does the defendant have to prepare? It is in terms of it is the uh, attorneys that he hires. They're okay. the ones that have to come up with the legal strategy. You know, all the defendant's supposed to do is decide whether or not he wants to testify. And, of course, mm-hmm. that's in accordance with the uh, attorneys after getting advice from attorneys, because mm-hmm. what does he have to prepare? I mean, if he sticks with the truth, then there's nothing to prepare, if you will. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, if possible, I'd love to have you back tomorrow when you've read the whole thing and we've had a little more time to digest this. Can we do that? I'd be happy to, and, and again, I apologize that I had a chance. No, I think, look, you're, you're, you may only be 14 pages in, but you're 14 pages ahead of me, so I, I appreciate that very much. You're always quick on this stuff. Uh, former Bear County DA and retired Judge Steve Hillbig. Judge, thank you tonight. As of today, I don't know if you had followed this or not, as of today, the sale and manufacture of incandescent light bulbs old old fashioned light bulbs is illegal they've been talking about doing this for years
I mean, this was a this was a thing in the Obama administration, but it's kicked in. The incandescent light bulb ban takes effect today. I think they actually passed it even before Obama, but it was a big green energy thing of Obama's, and it phases out the use, or they were wanting to phase out, and now they have the use of incandescent light bulbs in the United States uh, in favor of um, LED uh, lighting. It took years. They went back and forth. The Trump years were definitely a roadblock or a speed bump uh, for a lot of things like this, or it probably would have happened uh, sooner. It probably would have taken place during the what would have been the Hillary Clinton uh, administration. So I don't know if you've been in the light bulb aisle at the store lately, but LED lights are like, <laughs> I mean, it's great light. Um, it's much easier on your eyes. It's easier to read with and all that stuff. I, I, I'm not, I'm not anti LED lights. To be honest with you, I use them when I can, but they're they're very expensive, and um, I'm kind of skeptical about, you know what they're doing and why they're doing it and their stated reasons versus the real reasons. So if you've hoarded incandescent uh, bulbs, you know, be, be, uh, be judicious in their use because you won't be able to buy them and they're not going to be able to, uh, to make them anymore. Uh, 210-599-5555. It's fascinating to me that both of these things, both of these things happened on the same day. On this day, in 1981, MTV went on the air. And on this day in 1988, Rush Limbaugh went on the air with a national radio talk show. And music videos had been around before MTV, There were other TV shows that showed them. There was Friday night videos on NBC, and there were some other things. And there was, there was of course, radio talk before Rush Limbaugh, and there were um, conservative hosts and liberal hosts and non-political hosts and consumer hosts. And um, I I did a little bit of all of that. In 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 pre nineteen eighty eight talk radio, you were just as likely to turn on a, a station and hear. Uh, a show about how to find the best price on airline tickets or the best recipe for marinara as you were to find a discussion about the election or the Constitution. And when Rush Limbaugh went with a national show, not he had been local for many years in other cities, New York, uh, Kansas City, Sacramento, that was the beginning of the convergence of talk radio as the nation's political conversation. Talk radio became the the town meeting. And there are people that think that was a, a terrible development, that that was the beginning of polarization and whatever else, but I, I, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know how they could think that. I can understand disagreeing with Rush Limbaugh, but the truth is that never in modern American history have so many people been able to gather, exchange, receive confirmation, receive information, hear viewpoints, debate, hear whether or not each side really could 
hold together their argument. Um, it was transformative. So MTV transformed pop culture. It transformed uh, rock and music radio, and I would argue even like fashion, you know, and uh, probably a lot of other things. I mean, Oliver Stone, among many movie directors, said that MTV influenced the way he edited movies, that when he made a movie like Natural Born Killers, it was influenced by the the uh, the school, the artistic school of music videos. So you had MTV starting on this day in 81. You had Rush Limbaugh starting nationally this day in 88. We'll talk about both of those. And, of course, all this breaking news that's going on today, which is what talk radio is all about. Talk about opposites. And yet, and yet both um, left the landscape of their you know, respective media differently than they found it. Like, TV was never the same. I would argue popular music was never the same. And certainly talk radio and Rush Limbaugh, his effect on what we are doing, what we're doing here right now, is is tremendous. I mean, not to get too into the weeds, but at one time, not so long ago, I would say probably half the radio stations in this country we're losing money. Uh, And if they were AM radio stations and they had been playing music or they were still playing music, they were gasping because the audience for the music had moved to FM. And at the same time, there were people programming talk radio maybe in the evenings or some stations had gone to talk all day. Some as early as the late 70s uh, and early 80s had ditched the music in favor of all talk. But the talk, if you, were, if you go back far enough, and I know I'm dating myself, but if you remember talk radio pre-National Rush Limbaugh, it was kind of a patchwork. You'd have a lot of different things on the air. You'd have some brilliant local hosts. And I happened just because I grew up in Boston, I... I was blessed. That was probably the mother load of talented local hosts, dynamic people, Paul Benziquin, Jerry Williams, David Brudnoy. Uh, the, these, these people were Pat Whitley. These people were giants of talk radio up there. And um, so as a kid, when, when my parents would have talk radio on, it was very energized and popular. And even, even as, as, a, as a, you know, a teenager, it, it was exciting. It was interesting. But in much of the country and in smaller cities and towns, it was kind of a mishmash and a lot of, you know, kind of gray areas. This concept of a national political conservative talk show probably saved a lot of radio stations, probably saved this one, if we're going to be honest. Probably not supposed to say that, but it probably did. And it saved them in two ways. It saved them because... The Rush Limbaugh show was suddenly much better than a lot of the things it competed against. The guy was an entertainer. He was able to use music uh, and pop culture references and a lot of uh, sarcasm and satire. He would do these uh, song parodies to make his points. But the other thing it did was it showed that there was a market for conservative talk radio that Talk radio didn't have to try to be all things to all people. That there was a a definite audience and a definite marketplace for advertisers, for people that were right of center. 
And that became a successful business model. And stations, I, I was on a station that had just switched to talk in 1990. Um, and they were uh, building out their lineup around Rush Limbaugh. And I was on after him. And they were very, the management was very clear to me. They didn't say, we want you to copy him. <laughs> they said, we need you to retain his audience. You do that however you think you need to do that, but you're going to inherit this ginormous audience at 3 o'clock. You, you need to hang on to as much of them, as many of them as you can. And that's how these stations built out lineups and other hosts. And, yeah, there were people that just sort of copied and imitated. And, but then a lot of people found their own voice and their own way and maybe their own lane. And um, I would argue that in saving talk radio and in saving these radio stations, it saved diversity of opinion and diversity of platforms when you think about all the times in our country that it's looked like one group or one faction was getting too powerful, there's always something that comes along and balances it out, right? Like just when it looked like the Internet and social media were becoming a um, kind of a, a, a reservation of far-left uh, you know, thinking and, and sort of idea fascism, Elon Musk buys Twitter. And Elon Musk buying Twitter was the kind of instant, immediate game changer that Rush Limbaugh's radio show was in 1988. It went on the air on this day uh, in 1988. And the thing that I, I, I always, I remember saying this when Rush passed away a couple of years ago, the, the, if, if you only took away one thing from, from listening to him, and I know that you may or may not have listened to him, but... If you did, um, if you only took away one thing, I would say it should be this. He made his points or he um, crafted his arguments with joy. There was an ebullience. There was a, I'm having a good time doing this and I want you to have a good time listening to it and I even want you to have a good time if you're listening to it and you're hating it and I'm smoking my cigar and I'm in my studio in Florida and I'm living the life and I've got the golden microphone. In other words, there's a way to be a warrior and be happy. Rush Limbaugh had that. Ronald Reagan had that. Not very many political leaders, in my opinion, have that. And every one of them who has that succeeds. So he may have said things you agreed with. He may have said things you remember. He may have said things that on a particular day was the best thing you'd ever heard. But if you take away nothing else, fight the fight with joy, with ebullience, with confidence. Um, because if we sound like we believe what we're saying, and we're having a good time, that is our greatest asset in getting people to come over and think about things like individual liberty and the Constitution and conserving what's worth conserving in this country. We don't want to conserve everything. We want to conserve the things that are, that are great, that are worth conserving. And 
And if we do that with joy, we have much we have a much greater opportunity to to you know recruit people than if we do it with bitterness and anger and a snarl in our voice. And if you think about Rush Limbaugh, most days, even when he was very ill, he just sounded like nobody was having more fun. And why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Uh, we have the uh, third set of indictments on former President Donald Trump that's come down within the last uh, couple of hours. We've been talking about uh, about that. Uh, birthday today for MTV, this day in 1981, and Rush Limbaugh went into national syndication, began a show that could be heard all around the country uh, on this day in 1988. I think started out on maybe a couple of dozen stations, eventually on uh, several hundred uh, stations. This station uh, was one of those uh, when he started. And Al is on KTSA on the Jack Riccardi Show. Al, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. I called, a, I don't know, a week or two ago uh, and chimed in. I've been following you since you got here five years after me. And so uh, I've had to watch you or listen to you on different uh, time slots as you moved around the dial. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you used to have to compete with Roy, uh, with uh, Russia's time slot on KTSA? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Not very successfully he, either. <laughs> yeah, but when he moved from KTSA to WAI. Well, actually, what happened was when I was on um, when I was on WOAI, I was on um, during hours that were before him, and then right. um, then they changed the show. I don't want to get too complicated, but at, at, toward the end of my time there, they changed the hours so that we were on somewhat overlapping him, and then when he was switched to WOAI, I traded myself like the player to be named later over to KTSA. <laughs> so that so I never really went against him head to head. Uh the guy that had to go against him head to head um I think on on um if I remember correctly on WOAI probably would have been Carl Wigglesworth. But I can well, tell you that yeah. Do you remember him? Oh yeah, I I've been yeah. a, a radio caller in or guy from Allendale yeah. and and Ricky and Trey and there were very right, few local Trump. hosts anywhere in the country that could compete with or or surpass him. So in any city where there was more than one talk station, uh, you, you usually did. The, one of the guys that did beat him on a local level was a guy named Dave Ramsey. Uh, he was on a local Nashville station, and the way he came right. to national attention was people said, "What is this guy doing that he's beating Rush Limbaugh on the other station in Nashville?" Well, I didn't realize he beat him, but I, I've listened to Dave Ramsey. I've listened. To, the only time I listen anymore uh, at my age now is when I'm driving. And so I've followed you now because sometimes I get tired of what I'm listening to on someplace else. And anyway, I've always enjoyed your take. You're, you're a stand-up guy. I wanted to tell you one thing. Uh, I used to uh, frequently, I don't know if you still do it or not, rapping with Jack. I used to come and help you out. Over sure. There. Do you still do that? I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's my intention to do it in December. Let's let's hope we're all here to do it. And and um, I, I appreciate that, Al. In fact, I I will say I recognize your voice. I know we've talked uh, many times before, and I think we've met before, haven't we? Right. I've I've come up to you at yeah. those uh, rapping with Jack things. And yeah. Said hi yeah. And no, I remember you, yeah. and I'm, that's very nice of you to to call today. And and I'm glad that you, uh, hopefully you will join us. We're yeah, we're planning on it. Same location as last year. Hopefully, uh, you well, know. Where were, where was last year? Magnolia again or no? Last year we were at uh, Blue Bonnet Palace. 
Ah, okay. All right. And that's where well, we plan tentatively plan to be this year. Well, I probably missed it because I wasn't listening to your show at the time when you were announcing and where it was going to be. <laughs> so, yeah. No, that's okay. Just, I I have to follow what I'm doing in the car and who's on. And if it if it ain't playing for my ears, I got to move. And so this time this time recently, uh, you have uh, gained my attention again. And so I just wanted to give you kudos. But I was going to well, share you. an anecdote. We were yeah. going uh, two car caravan to Orlando, and uh, you when you're listening to Rush you know, you run out of, you run out of an AM station. And so we would hold up a sign when somebody found it on another channel. <laughs> oh, up. in other words, you were, you were like jumping to the, to the next nearest frequency that had him. Is that it? Finding it. Yeah. Whatever it yeah. was. And then we'd hold up a sign. So you don't want yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I think, um, I'm pretty sure he even had a, a, a channel guide at one point where you could like, you know, you could get his guide, and he would tell you these are all the stations and all the different places. And um, I'm sure he did. I just now with streaming, never, that would be never. that would be really easy to do. But yeah, back then you had to know in in a given city what was the frequency. That's right. Al, great to hear from you. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you, and I hope we'll see you at Rapping with Jack or some point. Uh, our paths will cross. Were you an MTV kid growing up? Did you uh, were you uh, into that or uh, were you there the first day when MTV hit the air? Did you have cable? Did you check out these music videos? Uh, and we'll talk about that coming up. Forty three, make that forty two years ago today. Uh, they launched this uh, channel. It's actually the the story of why they started it is sort of funny and I think kind of fascinating. We'll get into that uh, coming up. The big story today is the latest indictments against former President Donald Trump. This time, the charges are about the events that culminated in the attack on the Capitol January 6, 2021. And what we have confirmed today is that Donald Trump's campaign for the Republican nomination and ultimately for the presidency is going to coincide with not just a cloud of accusations, but actual on-the-calendar trial dates. So in the past, when we would cover a presidential campaign season, when you go into a, a presidential year, the quadrennial thing, right, you would say, well, all right, the, the Iowa caucuses are on this date, and the New Hampshire primary is on this date, and South Carolina is on this date, and Nevada's on this. You know, you'd, you would mark time by the various contests that determined who the Republican or Democratic nominee would be. And, and it, it's still true, but now you will also have on that calendar the, you know, the trial on the J6 charges and the trial on the documents charges and, and, and maybe more. And I think we make this about him a little too much. And, and here's what I mean by that. I mean, obviously, he's the guy accused. He's the guy on trial. But uh, if you if you really step back and you consider what's happening in our country right now, like I don't know about you, but in my neighborhood, there's this thing going on where people are stealing the tail lamp assemblies off of pickup trucks. Did, have you heard about this? So you come out in the morning, and your truck is there in the driveway, but the tail lamps have been removed. 
And I guess it's because they're valuable and maybe they're back ordered at body shops or I, I don't know. I don't know what in particular makes them valuable, but um that th- this has been on the, the next door app and the neighborhood app and, and whatnot. Uh and of course it's it, it infuriates people. But it also, as a number of people have pointed out, it also shows how brazen uh, crime is. Uh, somebody had to stand there <laughs> and pop those suckers off. And it's a nice neighborhood. It's not a, a an area you'd, you'd expect something like this to happen. Um, we have violent and criminal excuse me violent and property crime spiking in every major american city and in not major cities in places that are not used to this so there's places that are saying wow it's been a while since we saw this kind of chaos but there are also places in this country where people are saying to one another we've never seen this kind of chaos i thought i would always be safe here i thought Moving here was the right thing to do, and now I don't feel safe here. And that's the backdrop against which you have to project Merrick Garland, the Department of Justice, the combined resources of the federal government going after Donald Trump, positing that Donald Trump is the real danger, that Donald Trump's past behavior, that Donald Trump's angst and anger about the 2020 election, which, by the way, is not a new thing. Uh, do you remember Stacey Abrams? Do you remember Hillary Clinton? Do you remember all the politicians throughout history that have claimed they were cheated or robbed? Do you recall how Stacey Abrams, for years, insisted on being introduced to audiences as the real governor of Georgia? which is delusional. You might as well say I want to be introduced as Napoleon. But my point is, you have to sell the American people on the idea that the crime and the chaos that's actually happening in their midst, the fears they have for their wives, their children, their homes, in their midst, that's not the real danger. Donald Trump's speeches about the election were the real danger. Good luck selling that. I I would not want to try to sell that. I don't think you'll have many takers. We had a uh, mass shooting in Nashville at a Christian school some months ago. And now it turns out that it almost happened again this time at a Hebrew school in Memphis. And you're saying, what are you you talking about? I didn't didn't hear anything about this. I didn't hear about a mass shooting at at a school in Memphis. Well, it didn't happen. It almost happened. A man with a gun showed up at the Margolin Hebrew Academy and attempted to get in. But school security blocked him at the entrance. He fired several shots into the air. Police arrived. A shootout took place. The man brandished his weapon at the police and was shot and wounded. 
but there were no deaths or injuries at the Jewish school. In Memphis, the assistant police chief is not identifying the suspect, but is saying all of this went down around 12.20 in the afternoon the other day. So the police responded quickly and did a great job, but a lot of credit is also given to the school's security precautions and system which meant that the, unlike in Nashville where that shooter went through and killed at will, we've all seen, I think, the chilling video of just sort of hunting up and down the hallways. This shooter couldn't even get in. So this was a failed mass shooting. There will not be funerals. There will not be banks and masses of flowers and stuffed animals propped up against a gate or a fence, as we've seen all too many times. And now we'll see how they charge and with what they charge this maniac that tried to get into the school. The reason I bring this up is because of two things. First, this should be big news. I understand that news is when terrible things happen, not when terrible things don't happen. But we need to recognize that a mass shooting was thwarted. We need to know that that is possible. We need to know how that was possible, why that happened, what specifically contributed to thwarting it. I think this is important. If we say we want our kids to be safe, and we all say that, then we can't ignore or skip over this story from Memphis. But this is also a sign of the times we're living in. And this is what I'm saying about selling the case against Trump. Are you going to tell me that in a time when fentanyl and illegal immigrants are pouring across our borders, when bad actors from places like China are crawling into and all over the country, when you're telling me as our Justice Department does, that there have never been more guns on the streets and more guns available. When you are watching our uh, image in the world crumble, which has always in the past, whenever that's happened, emboldened our enemies and terrorists, when you're watching all of that and you're seeing the, the spate of mass shootings or attempted in 2023, how do you sell that the real threat is Donald Trump? I mean, good luck with that. Because that's really what this, that's the, that's the, the backdrop or the background uh, for, for all of this. See, if you just make this about Trump, then you force people to react to the accusations about him strictly in terms of how they feel about him. And let's face it, a lot of people don't like him. And I understand why. You don't have to, you don't have to explain it to me. I, I get it. But if you instead say, okay, they're going after him. They're prioritizing that. The, the, Merrick Garland spends more time talking about that than everything else combined. The resources of the most massive, highly funded law enforcement agency in the world have been trained on this one 
orange 78-year-old ex-president. To the exclusion, it seems, of all the other things that we are facing. Does that sound reasonable to you? When you put it that way, you're not making people judge or, or decide based on how they feel about Donald Trump, but about how they feel about themselves <clears throat> and their own safety and the security of their community. And I think that's, that's the way this needs to be framed, if it was up to me, which it's not, but if it was... If you go back and look at the timing of the announcements of the indictments, and this is the third set of them against Donald Trump, um, they always come right on the heels of uh, kind of a bad news day or bad news cycle for the Democrats. And this comes right after the Devin Archer uh, testimony and reaction to it. Um, And if you go back and look... Uh, the same conditions were in place. The other thing, somebody pointed this out to me, um, and it's interesting. Uh, the other thing that this sort of distracts from today is that uh, the credit rating of the United States by Fitch has been downgraded uh, from AAA to AA+, uh, because, largely because we keep blowing through the debt ceilings and um, what Fitch calls the erosion of governance. So... In terms of the credit rating of the United States, which should matter and used to matter a lot more, used to be more of a reported fact than it is these days, that's another black eye for this administration, for the hollowness of their supposed economic recovery. And so when you know you're going to indict anyway, and as Judge Hilbig pointed out, indictments are really the province of prosecutors, the the prosecutor is the only one presenting to the grand jury. The defense does not. The grand jury defers generally to the judgment or recommendation of the prosecutor, which is fine. But when you have control of that process and you can kind of time or, uh, you know, a, a schedule <laughs> uh, when you're announcing these things, it is interesting. Maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's not that these indictment announcements always come on a day when the Democrats really need you to be looking elsewhere, not at their performance, not at them. 210-599-5555. Chuck is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Chuck, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. Um, It seems like the narrative has been controlled so long now that people are just getting used to it, and the Democrats will continue with the narrative to keep their focus. But... We elected tigers to go in and try to change that, and all we got were kittens. I don't think I think the Democrats have done a great job of keeping their points to the forefront, and and there's no pushback by anybody, and people are giving up hope. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, Chuck, that the Democrats made it their, um, you know, they're the ones that decided to own this process and own how we count the votes and how we conduct elections republicans were not unable to do those things they just didn't they just didn't put in the work and now they're trying to catch up and in my opinion very poorly and very weakly but they needed to be as interested in this as the democrats have been for a long time and i fault them for that and i fault not only trump but the republican establishment for not 
fighting this fight when it needed to be fought, which was in the summer of 2020, when all the rules for how elections are conducted were thrown out in the name of COVID. We all smelled something rotten at that moment. I'm sure you did, too. And we're not that surprised at what's happened since. Well, I think what's going on now with President Biden and everything going against him, if something doesn't happen now to sway the people's opinion, I think we're in a real downside we can't get out of. But see, here's the problem. If you don't fix the way elections are conducted, you can sway all the opinion you want. You can nominate anybody. You know, you could nominate... You could nominate any anybody you wanted and say this is the greatest ticket in history. But if you don't if you don't repair um, the the mechanism of conducting the election, guess who gets reelected? I I agree with you on that. No no argument here. Yeah. Chuck, thank you. That was my frustration with January sixth, and I, I I argued with a lot of callers and had a lot of uh, we had a lot of spirited debate about this, but. I, I believe that January 6th was the wrong place and the wrong time. That the Capitol was the wrong place. The U.S. Capitol was totally not where the action was. Um, and it was the wrong time. The election had been conducted a month and a half earlier. Um, where you needed to be, if you care about this stuff, was in your state Capitol. And when you needed to be there was in the summer of 2020. Because that's when... The laws that were passed by the legislature you voted for in your state that represented you, that was observing the constitution of your state, that's when all of that was brushed aside imperiously in the name of COVID. And they said, we just have to do this, and we're just going to do it once, and we don't interfere and don't object because do you want people to die? Do you want people to go to vote and, and get COVID and die? And, of course, you're a good person. And you said, well, no, I don't want that. But And they said, well, then shut up. And we're going to have drive-in voting and 24-hour-a-day voting and early voting. And we're going to accept damaged ballots and incorrect ballots. And we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to allow people that aren't qualified to vote and we'll worry about it later. And we're going to have ballot harvesting and we're going to have mailboxes where you can drop off your ballots and we're going to let jeff sucker i mean uh, uh what's his name zuckerberg i can't think of his first name we're going to let him come in and and contribute hundreds of millions of dollars to secretaries of state in the various states and we're going to have you know we're going to have zuck bucks funding these new mechanisms and procedures by which we vote and in doing that and in doing that supposedly in the name of COVID, but remember that everybody involved was a Democrat. In doing that, we wound up with an election in which one of the least interesting, respected, um, sort of hack politicians we've ever seen, Joe Biden, a man left for dead by his own political party many, many years ago. I mean, the people that knew him best were like, nope, he's not presidential timber, never will be. We're supposed to believe he got more votes than anyone who's ever run for president. And I don't, and I doubt that you do too. Uh, 210-599-5555. But yeah, that's, that's the, I mean... It all, it really, I know everybody's, uh, Trump or DeSantis. It, re it really comes down to how the election is conducted.
By the way, I happen to think that in a fair election, uh, Biden would lose in a landslide. I think you'd see things you've never seen before. I think you'd see turnout you've never seen before. I think you'd see places and states the Democrats have been safe in. I think they'd get slaughtered. I, I, I think there's tremendous uh, anger and frustration and disillusionment. But I'm not predicting that will happen. I'm saying in a level playing field election, I think that could happen. First, you have to worry about whether or not we're going to have one of those, don't you? I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. I'll into the night. We'll get to the results on today's River City Oral Surgery JR poll. Were you an MTV kid? You can email me, jack at ktsa.com. Roy writes, um, my prediction on Trump, they'll continue to pile up the charges on him, no matter how silly. Then they will offer him a deal. I don't know what they will call it, but their intentions will be to force him out of the race. If he does not run, then they will drop or reduce the charges so that he will serve no jail time. My prediction is he'll decline the offer, subsequently win the election, at which time he will have the charges dropped, and start cleaning house of all the rats, predicts Roy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I've i heard that theory before. It's a that's a bold move. Like, we're going to... That would really be laying it on the line. Like, this really wasn't about the law and the Constitution. We were just trying to get you out of the race. And, and I mean, I, I suppose there are people who would take that offer. I don't think he's one of them, but I suppose there are probably people who are. You know what I got a lot of email about? Don, you'll find this hilarious. Of all the things we talk about. Remember the other day we were talking about Commander, the German Shepherd? Oh, yeah. And I told the story about how when I had my German Shepherd, um, and I got that book by the, the they're called the Monks of New Skeet. They're a, a, a group of uh, Catholic monks in upstate New York who raise and train German Shepherds. Uh, that's how they support their ministry. And they've been doing this for decades, maybe for maybe for 100 years, but for a long time. And I got their book because I, I wanted to do everything right with my German. And <clears throat> in disciplining and training, they recommended that you have to assert dominance because German shepherds want to be the alpha in every pack, whether it's a family or you have other pets. And so they said, when you're playing around and goofing around and giving them a tummy rub, pin them. And I was a little trepidatious about doing that because he was a big boy. But I did it. I pinned him and lived to tell the tale. And so we were joking about maybe Commander. So I got so many emails about pinning your German Shepherd. And I thought people would be, you know, horrified or think it was um, like, you know, dog abuse or whatever. I had a ton of people write to me and go, wow, I can't, I never heard anyone else say that before, but that's true. I've, I did that, or I, that's correct. I had dog trainers write to me and go, I'm so glad you told people this. This is really important. It's good advice. Um, Mark wrote, 100% right on pinning. They have to have a boss. If not, they'll be the boss. Um, this was a good one. Howard wrote, I really hope someone 
records Biden pinning commander. <laughs> There's just a visual there that I want to see. You that. think about like the guy when he's <laughs> tripping up the ramp to Air Force One. Like I just the idea of him pin. It's I shouldn't laugh, but I can't help it. Oh, so anyway, get the don't just pin your dog tonight. I don't want to be responsible for that. But if you have a German Shepherd or you're interested in dog training, these books by the monks of New Skeet are, are really, uh, really good, really interesting. They're they're old books. They may be out of print, but you can get them through Amazon or eBay or something like that. Uh, we've been talking about the uh, MTV anniversary. Uh, MTV Music Television went on the air this day in 1981. This is what it sounded like when they went on the air. Five, four, we've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. This is it. Welcome to MTV Music Television, the world's first 24-hour stereo video music channel. Just moments ago, all of the VJs and the crew here at MTV collectively hit our executive producer, Sue Steinberg, over the head with a bottle of champagne, and behold, a new concept is born. The best of TV combined with the best of radio. Now, starting right now, you'll never look at music the same way again. I'm Alan Hunter. I'll be with you right after Mark. I'm Martha Quinn. The music will continue nonstop on MTV Music Television. Well, all right, I'm J.J. Jackson. I'll be sitting in with the latest video music performances the way they were meant to be. Hi, I'm Nina Blackwood, and I'll be with you after J.J. right here on MTV. We'll be doing for TV what FM did for radio, and let's get into it right now at MTV. People will claim they were there, they were watching from the very beginning, but bear in mind that was midnight Eastern time on a Saturday, and I'm pretty sure I was not there <laughs> at the very beginning. Um, but that first uh, day, I think, was the beginning of something much bigger than probably even the architects of it, uh, you know, people that really really were excited about what they were doing. I don't think even they knew how big this would be. And, um, yeah, the first video was the Buggles video killed the radio star uh, because the, the, the message was we're coming for radio. This will be the new radio. But the funny thing about MTV is it didn't, of course, it didn't kill radio. It didn't even dent radio. But it did change radio. And what it changed was who were the stars. Because all of a sudden, visuals mattered a lot. And it turned out that there were people you'd been listening to on the radio for years, fantastic voices, who looked like gargoyles, who couldn't look into the camera, who couldn't connect visually. It wasn't any knock on them. They just had never had to do that before. You know, music on television before MTV was stuff like a live concert or a musical guest on a variety show. And a lot of times that was lip-synced or, you know, it was in short 
bite-sized pieces. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, singers and bands could get through a few minutes of that stuff. But MTV required of you that you were able to be visually pleasing, and you had to have a concept. Like, what is this song about? And I always thought the big three of MTV in terms of the artists that really like, they, they would have been stars anyway, and they were stars before MTV, but I think Prince, Michael Jackson, and Madonna would be the the, the sort of the, the ultimate crops that, that were yielded by MTV. I mean, you had a lot of bands and artists who really made themselves. I think Wham! was, was a huge, uh, you know, beneficiary of of mtv because they were good looking guys right uh robert palmer who'd been around a long time sort of developed this dapper he looked like a 1940s film noir guy in his videos and that that sort of energized his career and he went you know he got bigger than ever uh you think about somebody like cindy lopper i think you know she might have been a radio hit anyway but she was so visually striking and interesting and quirky on television that I think those songs were bigger hits than they would have otherwise uh, been. There were certainly bands, I, I think of like Flock of Seagulls or remember AHA? Remember that video that was like it kept changing from a comic book sketch to live action? And there were these, they had one hit and they were kind of, they had kind of an odd sound, but they were good looking guys, right? That Scandinavian high cheekbone kind of chiseled look. And that video made that song, I'm sure, a much bigger hit than it might otherwise have been or would otherwise have been. Um, and then you had the artists that were already well established, you know, that, that, that stepped right in and, and made this thing work for them. So people like Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen and David Bowie, I mean, they were already, they were already going great guns, but. It was interesting to watch how they adapted and figured out this new thing that perhaps they had never imagined they would have. The other thing that's crazy about MTV is I think, obviously, as it became popular, and it became popular pretty quickly, um, a lot of money was poured into the production of music videos. You had movie directors being hired to make videos. There were people that only directed music videos. That became a career and a an industry unto itself. But what was fascinating to me was when I discovered some years ago, I was reading a book about the founding of MTV. And the reason they started it was because music videos already existed, but weren't being utilized. Record companies were producing promotional uh, videos. In other words, conceptual videos or just videos of the singer standing there singing their song, you know, um, as part of the rollout of a new single or a new album, and somebody at um, you know the company that 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 owned MTV got this idea. It was the cable company, basically. You know, um, got this idea. Well, why not build programming around these videos? And we'll also let the record companies and the artists know, keep them coming. We want more of them. So this was something that was just on the shelf. But no one really knew what to do with it or where to use it. And cable was new. New channels were being created. New things were being tried out. There were tons of experimental channels that didn't make it and a few that did. 
Um, and and really, the, there wasn't a need for music videos as much as there already were music videos, and there was a need to do something with them. And that's how MTV uh, was born. And on a personal note, I, I, I have nothing to do with MTV except, and I find this as weird as it's going to sound to you, the guy that hired me to do the first talk show that I ever did on WGY in Albany, New York, was the original program director of MTV. He he had this was ten years later, and he had gone back to radio. He had been on radio in 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 New York on WNBC, and he was in Albany programming this news talk radio. It was it was actually not a news talk radio station. It was a music station that was converting to news talk, and his idea was to hire a young host. In the same way that he looked for young hosts for MTV, he wanted that same transition to a young, unexpectedly young host on a talk station. And he hired me. Um, because at one time I actually was young. And that's my connection to MTV. The guy that hired Martha Quinn and Alan Hunter hired me. But not for the same reasons, obviously. And probably not at the same money as I think about it. You know, when I uh, was still in music radio and when I would sometimes spin at nightclubs, I, I went into a lot of record stores and I got to know some of the, the guys in the record stores. You, you kind of have to when you're in music radio. And I remember one time we were having a conversation, uh, one of these guys, we were having a conversation about MTV. This was years after it had launched. And he said he, almost immediately, within weeks... We were selling music that was not on the local pop radio stations. Clearly, you know, people were coming in, they wanted Human League or Bow Wow Wow or, you know, whatever, and, and, and it was clearly the effect. The whole second British invasion, right, Duran Duran, all that, that was all driven by, uh, by MTV. So on the anniversary of MTV, we asked you today, were you an MTV kid? Back in the day, 64% said no, 36% said yes. Happy birthday, MTV. You know, the other thing that was funny about uh, MTV was because of its success, there were a lot of uh, local television stations that tried to imitate it. We had one in Boston called V66, and it was a UHF station that wasn't doing well, wasn't doing anything. And they tried to be the local um, version. And it was, I, I remember auditioning for it because I thought I could maybe do it. It really didn't last very long, and so I felt better about not getting hired. Anyway, um, back here tomorrow, we get started live at 4 or find our show as an on-demand podcast at KTSA.com.